Welcome to North Coast Church. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Last week, we talked about supporting the many local pregnancy resource centers and our mission to Uganda through our Baby Bottles and Beyond campaign. To get more information or to be able to support this effort, simply go to our website, northcoastchurch.com, to be able to give online. While you're there, go ahead and check out the many summer classes that we will be offering at a variety of our campuses and online. Now let's go ahead and get ready for today's message. Download our message notes on our website or you can use our mobile app. You can fill out a connection card or you can give online as well. Now let's join Pastor Chris Brown for today's message. So people often ask me, Chris, do you get nervous before you teach? And I've always answered at least the last 20 so years the same way is not anymore. There's not a nervousness about teaching. There's not a nervousness about being in front of the camera or in front of the crowd. In fact, the larger the crowd gets, the more comfortable I seem to get. But there is a sense of uh, awe. There's a sense of responsibility. There's a constant sense, more of a whisper that says, don't get this wrong. You are teaching the very word of God. That's why James 3, 1 is my life verse. Let not many of you become teachers, brothers and sisters, knowing that as such, you will incur a stricter judgment. Um, Teachers of the word aren't called to a higher standard. I'm not called to a higher standard than any of you. I'm called to the same standard of being a Christian as a drywall or a painter, a stay-at-home parent, as a bus driver. I'm called to the same standard. Here's how we live as Christians. But my butt is on the line by what I do with God's word and what I'm teaching it in front of people. And I will be judged more strictly. And, And that's constantly in mind. And today I feel it more than I felt it in a very, very, very long time. In fact, this may be one of those messages that was sent to you and you're watching it because you had a friend or family member go, hey, you've had questions about this. You may wanna see this. Because yes, today we're gonna use Jesus's own words and we're gonna talk about Muhammad. We're gonna talk about Buddha. We're gonna talk about Confucius. We're gonna talk about 85% of the world's religions. And who does this Jesus think he is? Because his words, are gonna square off against any other belief, any other religion, any other philosophy. And today we're gonna look at his words and how they do that. And so it's not a nervousness or fear. I've never had a fear about teaching the truth in our culture. I go, man, bring it on. But there is this sense of, wow, this is what separates Jesus from everything else. And this is done in a day and age with coexist bumper stickers. Have you seen the coexist bumper stickers? And they use all the different religious symbols on it. This is done in that day where can't we just all believe what we want to believe and we can all still get along. This is going to be taught in a day and age where tolerance, tolerance used to mean give people the right to be wrong, have tolerance for that. Tolerance now means everyone has the right to be right. The only person to be feared and the only person that is wrong is a person that claims they have an only right. And Jesus is going to do that today. Jesus is going to err on the side of uh, hate speech. (laughs) That's what I was thinking of when I was reading these words this week. The United Nations has tried to come globally and bring us all around to this idea of combating hate speech. And to do that, the UN has written this policy. The United Nations on hate speech defines it as any kind of communication in speech, writing, or behavior that attacks or uses pejorative or discriminatory language with reference to a person or a group on the basis of who they are, 
In other words, based on their religion, ethnicity, nationality, race, color, descent, gender, or other identity factors. I find it amazing that the United Nations started with religion first. This isn't gonna be an attack, but this is definitely pejorative and discriminatory language. What are those words? Those words mean if you teach with a bias that one is right and others are wrong, and that's all that Jesus does. In fact, we're gonna jump into one passage today where Jesus is using only pejorative and discriminatory language. And we're gonna look at then what the world would call Jesus' hate speech. Done in the most amazing act of love, done as a rescue mission, as far as he's concerned, from a one true monotheistic God, and done in an act of sacrificing and serving you and I. And we are gonna be left in our culture with our culture's definitions of wondering, so what do we do with this God? And here's why it's for all of us. It's not just for the agnostic. It's not for the atheists. It's not for the Christian. It's not for the Muslim. It's not for the Hindu. It's not for the Confucianism. It's not for the Taoist. Here's why it's for all of us. Because we've got to figure out what do we do with this man and his teachings. Years ago, I got an email. email I don't know if you have things in your life that if I only got rid of this, life would be so much better. To me, it's emails. If I could only get rid of emails, life would be so much better. We get about 150 emails a day on average, just my email inbox. I've got people that try to go through it, sort through it, but there's so many things I have too. And I am not the type of guy, this won't surprise you. I am not a type of guy that schedules hours just to sit with a computer and answer emails. I hate it. I love people. I'm an extrovert. In fact, if there's any movement anywhere in the office, I'm going to go to that other than than sitting in front of a computer. And so emails constantly build up. I'm averaging somewhere between 600 and 800 emails behind on any given day of the week. And I know I gotta force myself to do it. And years ago, I'm sitting down and I get this email. It's days late. It's from an amazing North Coast family. They've been attending for years, but they were surprised when their junior high daughter came home after a teaching on Christianity and world religions by one of our junior high groups. And they were shocked and wrote me one of the most beautiful, amazing emails, how much they love North Coast. Their family loves North. They love the way we take care of people. They love the way we take care of needs. But they were amazed that their junior high daughter heard that Jesus is the only way and any other religions aren't gonna be in heaven. And it hit me. A couple things. How, how have you been here for years and years and years and not understood that? And yet... It's because we constantly hear, oh, I'm good being a Christian, I love Jesus, but I live in a culture that says that's phenomenal for me. We can't dare put his teachings on someone else. And today, those, those two forces of what Jesus says and our culture, our understanding of truth and right and wrong and tolerance are gonna come crashing down to one single page. And you and I get to jump into, what does Jesus say? And at the end, we're all allowed to do whatever we want to do with it. My job is to teach you the truth of Jesus, to do it in the most loving, understanding way I can, but to bring to light Jesus versus other religions according to Jesus. Man, if you've got a Bible, open it. We are still in John chapter 10. We're picking up again on verse 11. We're picking up five chapters of this very teaching of Jesus being the only son of God and only way for all people is ripping the temple apart. It's ripping followers of God apart. It's messing up their culture at their time too. It is jumping into a day and age where Jesus is attacking religious leadership that isn't teaching Christ and Christ alone. 
And so we've gotten five chapters, if you're just joining us in the book of John. The crowd is split. Some people believe he's the very son of God who's come to earth. Other people think he's a madman. He's a megalomaniac. They believe he's possessed by the devil. They believe he's speaking nonsense and no person in their right mind should listen to this guy. And at the end of his teaching today, the crowd once again is gonna be divided. So open up John chapter 10. Back of the Bible, look for the guy's names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in John 10, verse 11, and he starts this theme once again. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Circle, highlight, underline that. I'm gonna give you three fill in the blanks, but we're gonna read this first that show why Christianity and Jesus is, the Christ is different than any other religion, any other philosophy, any other world belief. And one major one, I just want you to circle, highlight, underline. He goes, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Oh, the hired hand? Well, he's not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man who runs away is a hired hand and cares nothing for his sheep. And I think we all get that. We don't have to be shepherds to understand that. He goes, I'm the good shepherd. These are my sheep. So I'll lay down my life for them. But a hired hand, a hired hand is in it for a day's wage. And a shepherd's wage ain't that much of a day's wage. So when a wolf comes, a lion comes, what do you do? I'm running. Why? Because you don't pay me enough to tackle a lion. These ain't my sheep. <laughs> I'll watch them on good days. I'll take them to pasture. Sheep don't run that far. They can sit in the valley. I can sleep in the shade of a tree. You can pay me for being a shepherd. But if danger comes, I'm out of here. Jesus has taken this idea that we looked at last week of, of the, the people of the world being sheep and him being the shepherd and the, and the only way to God. But you and I have to understand this is, this is deep in Old Testament understanding. The Psalms talk about Jesus being a good shepherd. Isaiah talks about Jesus being a shepherd and we like sheep are wandering. Ezekiel, in fact, let me read you a couple of these. Ezekiel 34 says this, I printed it out. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel. Now he's not talking about people watching sheep in Israel. You spiritual leaders, those of you that are shepherding the flock, the people of God, woe to you religious leaders of Israel who take care of only yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Oh, you eat the curds, you clothe yourself with their wool, you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You're in it for your own. You're in it for your own wealth. You're in it for what you wear and what you do and your prominence and your priorities. You've not strengthened the weak. You've not healed the sick. You've not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no real shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. And the rest of Ezekiel 34, God says, so I myself will come. I myself will gather the sheep. I myself will rescue them. I myself will lead them. See what Jesus is playing on in the temple in front of the religious leaders is what they know in their own history. Isaiah 53 says, but the shepherd was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was put on him. By his wounds, we are healed. And we, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Yet it was God's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. See, the Old Testament is filled with this understanding that God is the good shepherd, that the Messiah, the one day the Christ will come, the son of God will come. The entire Jewish faith is looking forward to a son of God coming to earth, a superhero figure, because religious leadership isn't being religious leadership. And Jesus in the temple is using this speech and all the hearers know what he's talking about. All the religious leaders know that he's talking about them. I'm the good shepherd. I'm gonna lay down my life for the sheep. You clowns are day laborers. You're in it just to fleece the sheep, make money for yourselves, and you're fakes and you're phonies. Bubble watch. He's not done. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. He says it again. But, but catch that. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, I know my sheep and they know me. Jesus uses his relationship with the Father, with God, and goes in that same relationship. I wanna have a relationship with every sheep. In that same relationship, I wanna have that closeness with every person. I've got no other sheep that are not of this pen. Oh, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. You see, the reason my Father loves me is that I laid down my life only to pick it back up again. No one can take it from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I receive from the Father. He goes, you know why God is pleased with me? I'm submitting to him, I'm coming to earth and I will die and I will raise myself up again. And they're shocked, so he repeats it. I have the authority to die. No one can command me to die. This is my rescue mission. And I, three days later, I will rise again and pick my life up again. You gotta hear this because we're about to get to other religions and you have to realize how extraordinary this is against any other belief system in the world today. And the Jews understood it. In verse 19, the Jews who heard these words were again divided and many of them said, he's demon possessed. He's a raving madman. Why listen to him? This is, this is ludicrous, ludicrous. And others said, oh, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Others are going, have you seen the miracles he's done? He just made a blind guy see. He just made a crippled man walk. You, you think that's a demon possessed madman? So came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. And the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are this Messiah, tell us plainly. Now here comes the crux of the whole thing. The Jews that are listening to this now show up at the feast or the festival of dedication. If you really are the Messiah, the, the giant M word that we've all been waiting for. The entire Old Testament and Jewish, Jewish faith says one day God will send a savior. See, this goes all the way back to 2000 BC, a promise made to a guy named Abraham. If you leave every place, the country you've been born and every place you've lived and everything you have and follow me, I'm gonna show you a land, a promised land, and I will make you into a great nation. 
And through that people, I will bring my seed, I will bring my son, and I'll bring salvation to everyone. The entire Old Testament's been waiting for this Messiah figure to come. And now they're saying, why don't you just plainly say you're him? Are you really claiming to be God coming to earth? But, but the keynote here, it's during their festival of dedication. Okay, you gotta do a little bit of history here. About 165 BC, Syria comes down and they completely attack and they bring a reign of terror on all the Jewish faith and the people of Israel. Their king at that time is uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus wants to make a spectacle. He's an incredibly cruel leader of Syria. So he desecrates their temple. He robs it of all of its gold and all of its silver. He brings in pigs and he sacrifices pigs in their temple because he knows that's an unclean animal to him. He sets up the altar to the God of Zeus. So he completely mocks their Jewish God. He makes it illegal for you to own a piece of scripture or to speak scripture. He makes it illegal for you to circumcise your children. That was part of the Jewish faith. In fact, he passes a law that any baby that's been circumcised, you have to crucify the mom on a cross and hang the baby around her neck. People, this is gruesome, gruesome. He kills 80,000 Jews. He takes about that same number back as slaves. He is a madman and a tyrannical ruler. Well, there's a, an uprising led by these sons of Maccabees. It's a Maccabean revolt. And they're finally to get the Jewish people together in an uprising. This war breaks out and they kick Syria back out of their land. And they have to spend days cleaning up their temple. They have to spend days purifying it, if you will. And they find that little seven stick lampstand that was in their temple. But, but only the priest can make the type of oil that you light that lampstand with. And everything's been taken, everything's been desecrated. So they find one little bottle left with still a high priest insignia on it. And they light the lampstand, trying to get a nation back to God, knowing that that little thing of oil is only gonna last maybe a day. But doggone it, those candles burn for eight days. We have Hanukkah, we have the Feast of Dedication. I, I tell you the gruesomeness of that, because when Jesus is standing at this feast of dedication, it's only been about 160 years since that happened. This is fresh history for these people. This was your grandfather's war. Your family has lost people to this. It's in that scene, that festival, that you got your temple back, you got your religion back, that they're asking the question, are you the Messiah? Why haven't you said it? That's a good question, isn't it? Why hasn't Jesus just come out and said yet, I am the Messiah? Oh, wait, wait, has, has he? Who did he, who did he? <gasps> That's right, way back in the first chapters, was it chapter four, there's a woman at the well and he goes to this Samaritan woman and he tells her about truth, he tells her about living water. He tells you, look, I know about your sexual addiction, I know about your sexual abuse, I know how your body's been treated by men. And I'm here to tell you I love you and there's a purpose for you. And she goes, one day the Messiah will come and he'll speak to us the truth. And Jesus says, I who am talking to you is he. Jesus told a Samaritan woman, <laughs> someone on the other side of the tracks, not allowed into Israel, that he was the Messiah. But he hasn't said it here yet in the temple specifically during the festival of dedication, Hanukkah. Why? I, I agree with so many commentators that I've read that just go to, they have the wrong definition of Messiah. 
Everyone is waiting for a military and a political ruler. Everyone is. Who is going to kick Rome butt? Who is going to change our culture that's going on? And who's going to bring us peace? And Jesus didn't come to be a political or a military leader. Jesus has no problem claiming to be the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for to people that have the right definition. To a woman at the well who just wants to know truth, he goes, I'm the Messiah. But in a religious court where everyone just wants him to come in and change the structure of culture and wants to be a military leader, wants him to stand up and fight for truth and fight for what's right, Jesus goes, no, I'm fighting for souls. I'm fighting against sin. I've come to lay my life down again. Oh, the second coming, when this Christ will come back, he'll come back as a warrior. There's gonna be a time to fight. He goes, but right now the battle's for souls. And so they're trying to pin him to that. Can't you just tell us, are you really the Messiah? And I believe Jesus understands you've got the wrong definition, so I'm not using the word. Many of us today do that. We do that with a word called uh, savior, savior. Well, Jesus is my savior. Everyone wants a savior. Everyone wants a savior. I can do a little message on there's when you die, there's a heaven and there's a hell. Say this prayer, you burn forever. How many of you want a savior? And you're like, all right, I'll say the prayer. I'll take a savior. We've got this definition of savior, that it's a prayer you say and you're good, where Jesus goes, no, I'm not selling savior. It's lordship, it's ownership. I'm gonna sacrifice my life. I'm gonna pick it up again for you. This is gonna be the relationship. This is what's gonna set him apart from every other religion, every other philosophy, every other belief system. And they're trying to nail him on a word that they have a wrong definition for. And watch how we end this and get into other world religions. Jesus answered, I did tell you but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Now, this is strong. He's telling Jewish leaders, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian, a follower of Christ. You do not believe I'm the son of God, so you're not one of mine. I have told you in so many ways who I am, and yet you've been blinded to it. You've been deaf to it. You see, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hands. Again, the most audacious claims any human being has ever said that he's the giver of eternal life. We're gonna get to in a second. No religious leader has ever said that before, but Jesus does not claim to be a man. He claims to be the son of God. I am the giver of eternal life. And therefore, those who listen and follow me will never perish. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Oh, we're saving that last phrase next week. You wanna have an amazing Father's Day. Whether you have a dad that you love and cherish and you celebrate Father's Day, or whether you're in the rest of the category, man, I'm not about to try dad or father again. I tried it once. We're gonna have an amazing presentation next week for all of us to go, man, I needed to hear that. We'll save the father figure for next week. This week, we've been given enough. In his teaching so far, how is this God different? than any other religion or world belief. Let, let me give you three things to write down. Number one, this God is the creator who has an intentional and unique love for every single person. That's how this God claims to be different. This God claims to be the creator. <laughs> he's not just a God, he's the one solo creator who has an intentional and unique love for every single person. Do you know we don't have that in any other deity, any other force, any other nirvana, any other enlightenment? We have a book 
a son of God that claims to be the creator. Remember this book starts, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Nothing has been created that wasn't created by him and through him. And that creator became flesh, Bethlehem, came into his own creation to die for them, to raise again, to live for them and to lead them back. There's no other philosophy or belief system that says there is a creator who has an intentional and unique love for every single person. How unique, how unique. Jesus just said it, the same relationship Jesus says, I have with God, I desire for my sheep. Do you realize how unique that is? He knows me, my quirkiness, my idiotness, my thick-headed, hard-hearted self, my West Texas stuff at sometimes. He knows me. And as I taught last week, he doesn't just love you. He really, really, really likes you. We don't find this personal intimacy in, in any other teachings in the world today from a one God creator God. Here's the second thing that Jesus just made very clear in this. This God will sacrifice himself for his people. This God will sacrifice himself for his people. We've had all kinds of religions in the history of man and anthropology that shows we're supposed to sacrifice for God. We sacrifice babies for God. We sacrifice ourselves for God. We do self-mutilation for our God. We have all kinds of sacrifices to appease some God of wrath, some God that we know we've offended some way, somehow, because we all know we're not gods. We're less than, and therefore we're, we're broken people, and we have to appease this God, how? By some sort of sacrificial system. This is the only religion where the inventor of it, creator of it says, I will sacrifice myself for the people. And twice he lays this down. I will lay down my life. Now, let me make it clear. No one has the authority to take it from me. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. Rome didn't kill Jesus. Jesus came to give his life. (laughs) And he goes, and I also have the authority to pick it back up again. No one's ever claimed that. We don't have any other religion or worldview out there of a God that is personal, unique to every single individual, and he does the sacrificing. So we don't. Well, Chris, isn't the Christian life a sacrifice? Not really. Not by the definition of the word. Do I have to sacrifice myself and my family for this God? No, he's done it for me. Now, what do I sacrifice? Okay, my will, my desire, my dreams, I will lay down because of what he's done for me. But that is, that is a rather puny sacrifice in comparison. I'm not trying to appease a God. I'm not trying to make an angry God happy. As we just read in Isaiah, as we just read in Ezekiel, as we've read here, and we haven't even gotten to the good chapters, 14, 15, 16, and 17, they're coming. God said, whatever wrath I have against sin, I've sent my son on a rescue mission. He does the sacrifice. He does the saving. You just accept. It's unheard of in any other culture, world, or religion today. And then number three, this God will live the life he calls his people to live through them. This God, this God will live the life that he calls his people to live through them. We're about to break down about 85% of people in the world believe in one of these religious institutions or structures. I want you to listen closely to it because there is not another system that says the life that you're called to obtain, the God or deity is the one that does it in you and through you. 
Christianity is the only one that says, there is a perfect life you're supposed to live. You can't do it. Congratulations. His death on the cross forgave you. Him rising again gets his spirit in you. God lives the life he's called us to in us and through us. God does the changes in my life that I'm supposed to make. This is unheard of in any other religious system. That the book, that the spiritual literature, that the wisdom literature of that religion, everyone's calling you to a higher standard. Everyone's calling you to more piety, more generosity, more righteousness, more moral behavior. But no other book claims, oh, the God of the book is the one that lives that life in you and through you. This is gonna be John 15, 16, and 17 when we get to it. This is spoiler alert. So what separates Jesus's teachings on this? And I think before we dive into how are Jesus's teachings different on this, we've really got to look at what are the other religions teaching. But the second largest teaching comes from Islam, from the Muslim world. Very much starts with Christianity. Very much starts with Abraham. That's why there's a big fight in, in Israel today over that dome of the rock, right? Right now, the Temple Mount has a big gold dome on it in Jerusalem. The Jews worship down at the Wailing Wall. The Muslims have the top of that. That was given in a treaty decades and decades ago. Why? Because they're fighting over the same space. Why? Because they're fighting over the same first, this part of the book that God promised Abraham he would make him a great nation and he would send his son salvation into the world. The problem is Abraham didn't want to wait for God, so he slept with one of his maids and he got her pregnant and she had a son called Ishmael. Abraham waited then, faith in God, and in their old age, he gave Abraham and Sarah a son named Isaac. And there the Christian world and the Muslim world splits. The Muslim world will trace back to Ishmael, the true first son. The Christian world would go, that wasn't the son given by God. That was a mistake by Abraham. That was a result of sin. And they're still fighting over that rock. Did Abraham sacrifice Isaac or did Abraham sacrifice Ishmael there? And so in the Islam faith, you have Muhammad. Muhammad is the last and the greatest of all the prophets. He's in a line of prophet in the Islam literature with, with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, and with Jesus. And then about 500 years after Jesus came Muhammad. And Muhammad is the seal of the prophet or the one great final prophet, the end of God's manifestation and God's words to all of people. So they've got the final say. They've got the last straw, if you will. But Muhammad never claimed to be God. Muhammad never claimed to be from God. Muhammad never claimed to be of God. Muhammad never claimed to be deity. What Muhammad claimed was to teach what God, what Allah had given him. They too have a heaven, Jannah, but it's a heaven of God's grace and mercy. When you live up to the Quran, when you live up to a higher righteousness, when you live up to a better generosity, when you live up to a better piety, the grace and mercy of Allah will allow you to go to heaven, Jannah. But here's where this is gonna break down. Here's where our little coexist bumper sticker that I wish it could be true, right off the bat goes, you've got the teachings of Jesus, which we're about to give you in rapid order, and you've got the teachings of Muhammad and the Quran, and they couldn't be polar opposite of each other if you tried. You've got this Jesus claiming he is God, he's from God, he's sent by God, he's the only way. And you have Muhammad not claiming to be deity, but claiming there's a whole nother truth that you just have to follow to get to heaven, there's no coexisting in those two. Both can't be right, but they just can't. And yet some, what, 55, 58% of the world's followers 
fall under either some form of Christianity or biblical doctrine or some form of Islam. The Hindu religion now, primarily coming out of India, but the Hindu religion is one of the most complex religions in the world. So many different scriptures, so many different spiritual writings. The Hindu religion itself claims to have 330 million gods. That's not meant to be taken literal. What the Hindu religion is saying, there is a plethora, tens and thousands of gods and divas or gods and goddesses. You've got three main ones in that Hindu religion, but it's a complex act of worship and theology that everyone can have different gods and goddesses. And yet it all comes down to the same thing. There's reincarnation. How you live this life determines if you obtain a better life the next time around or a worse life the next time around. It's basic tenets. I know I boiled it down real simply on the Hindu religion. You've got Buddhism. Buddha himself never claimed to be God, never claimed to be from God, never claimed to be a deity. Buddha saw himself merely as a teacher. He was a man who found enlightenment. He was a man who found the divine Buddhahood. And he teaches through all kinds of mantras and all kinds of meditation, the way to you to free yourself from suffering. There isn't a, a heaven per se, it's a rebirth. You don't have to keep going through the cycle of birth. You, you, you obtain an enlightenment that frees you from this life and all the entrapments of it. And we've got the, the Buddhist religion. Confucius was a Chinese philosopher. Confucianism really isn't a religion, it's a philosophy, it's a way of life. Confucius made it very clear, he is not God, not from God, not a part of God. Confucius made it clear, he is an educator to teach people. There is a moral and ethical way to do life, a search for wisdom and the passing on of knowledge. In, in Confucianism, there isn't a heaven, there is more of a, uh, a cosmic harmony that one can become part of that involves and wraps through all of nature itself. Taoism is close to that. They definitely have different tenets, but the yin and the yang, you are pursuing an enlightenment, a cosmic harmony in the Taoist religion. And, and in those religions, I know in a nutshell, you've got about 85% of humanity and we're trying to live in a world today where we can have Christ, we can follow his teachings, and they can have all of their teachings, and everything's gonna be okay. But none of those religions have an answer for sin. All of those religions have an answer for how to make mankind better, how you and I need to be better, how you and I need to be more generous, we need to be more pious, we need more righteousness, we need more giving, we need to take more responsibility, we need to have more meditation, we need to do more rituals. Every religion has an understanding that man himself is not good and needs to do better. And if there's many ways to God and the way to God is getting better, then all of these religions do coexist. They're all trying to get you to a betterment of life, a higher plane, a higher meditation, a higher Buddhahood, a higher enlightenment, a higher nirvana. They're all in sync. And then comes this dude who says, you can't better yourself, you got a sin issue. I don't care if you're perfect from today on. Chris, how are you gonna pay for what you've done from your life up till today? Chris, good people don't go to heaven. Perfect people go to heaven. Sinless people, and there ain't any. <laughs> Something's gotta be done for sin. I have come to lay my life down. I have come to sacrifice so the wrath of God can be poured out on me. It will forgive you. You will be seen as sinless. And I will rise again to live the life that I'm calling you to live in you and through you. Again, that comes in a few chapters. 
No other religion talks about that, deals with that, that there is a creator who is personally aware and cares for each and every person who will sacrificially die for that person, give his life to forgive the sins of that person and rise again to live his life in and through that person. It's unheard of in the world's religions today. And watching just the last five chapters, how Jesus's teachings differ from Muhammad, from Buddha, from Confucius, from any other philosophy or world system today. Listen to just what he has said about himself in just the last five chapters, only in the book of John. We haven't used all of scripture. How is his teachings different? Oh, we're gonna go so fast here. I don't know how you're gonna do it. Stretch your fingers. You see the blanks laying ahead of you? Here we go. He said, I've already told you and you guys don't believe. You're asking, are you the son of God come to earth? I already told you and you guys don't believe. What does he mean I already told you? They're trying to get him to say, Messiah, are you gonna be our warrior political hero that's gonna come and kick butt on society? And Jesus goes, no, I've come to take care of sin and I'm gonna win hearts and minds. Whew. I don't want a Messiah to do that. I want a Messiah to go up against everything in society that's wrong. And he goes, no, I'm going up against the wrongs you've done and your life is gonna rub off on others and they'll be forgiven as well. And watch how he claims, I've already told you. I already told you that I am from heaven. I'm not gonna read the verses after each fill in the blank. These verses just show you if you wanna go back in your notes, if you wanna look for yourself, but this shouldn't be a surprise. We've been studying for these. I am from heaven. He said, I already told you that whoever believes in me has eternal life. I put 315, but he just said it again today. I am the giver of eternal life. This Jesus really believes that he's the gate, he's the door, the only way to heaven is through him. I've already told you that I'm the unique son of God, the only son of God, the only begotten son of God. It's not that we can all be gods. It's not that Jesus was a form of a God that we can become. In the beginning of this teaching and, and, and our very first kickoff of it, I read the Mormon Bible by, uh, and I read uh, John 1 according to the Christian Bible on how radically different they are. Why? Because Joseph Smith and the, Roman faith, and the Mormon faith had to do something with Jesus' teachings. That he's the only God. We're not supposed to be like him. We're not going to get our own planet. We're not. He's like, no, I'm set apart. I am the son of God. He says this now. All will honor me as God. What type of person says that? <laughs> the guy who thinks he's God. He said that the Old Testament has all been about me. <laughs> the Old Testament has all been about me. He said, I reveal God to all people. Jesus said, look, if you see me, you see God. If you know me, you know God. He says, I am from God, with God, and speak for God. I am from God, with God, and I speak for God. These things I do are not my own. I only do the will of the Father, him who sent me, because he is with me. He claims to be doing the very will, purpose, words, and acts of God here on earth. And then, 10 verses later, he says, I am from God and sent by God. The big one that blew away the religious leaders was this next one. I existed before Abraham. Do I have to give you a pause to write? Are you catching up right now? They're on the screen. I existed before Abraham. You may want to write in your notes there. We're talking about 2,000 years before Jesus, by the way, where he told the religious leaders, oh, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> I'm the son of man prophesied by Daniel. I'm the son of man prophesied by Daniel. Remember every time Jesus calls himself the son of man, it goes back to Daniel 7. Daniel, one of the Jewish faith's greatest prophets, says one day, one day, that he who sits on the throne 
will send his son, his redeemer. He will come on the clouds and every knee and every tongue and every nation and every tribe will confess that he is Lord, that he is God. And he will rule the nations forever and ever and ever without end. This is, this is Jesus's way of constantly claiming, I am what the entire Old Testament has been waiting for and that can't coexist. These teachings so offset each other. You can do a coexist bumper sticker, but you gotta take the Christian part out of it. Every other religion can coexist. This guy refuses to coexist because he really believes he's telling love, the truth that everyone needs to know. It's for everyone. He said, I will raise myself from the dead. We just hit that. I will raise myself from the dead. He goes on to hit the themes that we've just hit in the last few weeks. I am the living water that quenches all thirst. Whatever you're looking for in life, whatever you're doing in life, your reason why whatever you get in this world doesn't fulfill you because you were made to be a relationship with something other than this world. If this world could fulfill you, none of us would need God. We're fulfilled, we're good. But we're created for something higher, something different, a relationship with God. And that's why there's no amount of money, there's no amount of position, there's no amount of sex, there's no amount of self-worth or value that I tried to get fulfills me. We can't be fulfilled by this world. We're created for something beyond. And he goes, I quench that. He followed it by saying, I'm the bread that gives life to all people. (laughs) Without me, you die, you perish. He says, I am the light of the world. And I'm the only door to salvation. Without me, he says, you walk in darkness. You'll never see the light of God. And I am the only door. I am the gate to salvation. Anyone who gets to the Father has to come through me. Again, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, he's gonna make this again so clear. We're just getting into it. And then what we've been looking at, I am the only good shepherd for all sheep. (laughs) I am the only good shepherd for all sheep. People, listen to me again. I have not gone through, let me give you what the whole Bible says about Jesus. We, these come from only the last four pages. <laughs> only the last four pages. What he's about to do in the next 10 chapters is solidify this. I, I apologize to the United Nations if this is discriminatory, because it is. If you find this pejorative, <laughs> believing there is a truth and denying the others are, because it is, but it's done in the most loving, all-inclusive way. It's done in a way where he goes, look, I'm so intimately in love with you. I like you. I want to lay down my life for you. And this is your hope. This is your chance. This is your salvation. When we just start looking at what Jesus has done just in the last four pages, you've got to ask yourself, how does this coexist? It doesn't. It's so radically different from the teachings of the Quran. It's so radically different from the Book of Mormon. It's so radically different from the teachings of Confucius. It's so radically different than the meditations of the Buddha. It is so radically different from any other world religion. It is him and him alone. I was taking a world religions class at the Palomar University. I know it's a junior college, I call it university. About, I don't know, 90 years ago, after I was driving tractors, doing fire breaks, heavy equipment during the day, I did some night classes. I thought, one day, I may need to start an education. Why not now, I'm 23. And I took a world religions class. And for our final, we looked at the top seven world religions. 
we had to come in and do a little Scantron test on it. And then we had to reach into a hat and pull out one of these seven world religions and write an essay on it. So we had to study these. And it was in doing that that my first step back to God really started to come. I realized, I saw it like Vegas. It's a roulette wheel. I got to put my chip on something. You spin it at the end of your life. What's real? What's not? And I realized every religion has the same tenet. We are less than, we need to be better. There's a road to how we get better, more righteous, more moral, more ethical, more enlightened, more in the way, more in the cosmic force of harmony because in and of ourselves we're less than. So if it's about doing good works, I can put my chip on any of these and at the end of life, we're all good. You know what? It's about getting better. And whether that's a reincarnation or whether that's the layers of heaven, as long as we're living by the tenets of being good and loving each other, there are a lot of different ways to God. And every religion says that. And then you get Christianity. And if I die and this Jesus and his God shows up, well, it goes against every other religion. And yet... The tenets of Christianity are getting me to be a better person. So if it's one of these other religions, I'm still going to be okay. People, I purely looked at it as a, as a Vegas crapshoot. Put my chip on anything. What do you want to put on? Well, if you put it on Christianity, no matter what comes up, you're good. That's what got me back looking into this Jesus. And then getting to his teachings and realizing he truly is a raving madman, like the crowd says. He's demon-possessed, and you can't trust him. Don't listen to him. And yet I love the words of William Barclay. The words of Jesus were not the words of a madman. Instead, they were supreme sanity. The deeds and actions of Jesus were not the deeds of a megalomaniac. Instead, they were utterly unselfish and sacrificial. And the effect of Jesus wasn't the effect of a madman. Instead, he has changed millions of lives in the past 2,000 years. So what do we do with Jesus and just his teaching about himself? No other prophet, no other religious leader teaches about themselves as being God or the only way or offering eternal life. They're teaching a way that they found. And this guy who speaks in red letters stands in what the UN may call hate speech, but he does it in the most loving, sacrificial way of saying, I am the answer. This is God on a rescue mission for his sheep because other religious voices and leaders have left you scattered. I'm here. I'm here. And the crowd is once again split. Many realized I found my God and others. Why would you continue listening to him? And the debate still rages today. For me, the more I pressed into this, the more I finally tapped out and laid down my life and picked up his, the more I found out how much this God not only loves me but really likes me and wants to be with me, the more I found out what this God thought of me in spite of what I thought about myself because I knew me, it is more real, more true than anything else in my life today. This is what I'm passionate about teaching. This is all I'm passionate about doing. Because I know the way it changed my life, it'll change yours. 
but he's given us free will and a choice. And you can choose otherwise. Wow. Here's what you can't do at the end of this. You can't coexist with this guy. You can coexist bumper sticker with any other religion, but you got to take this guy out of it. He refuses to be a part and in play with any other teaching and any other philosophy. His teachings, not mine. Write him, not me. But because we love each and every one of you, we will teach his words and his truth unapologetically. Unapologetically. Till the day we die or the day we get killed for doing it. That would be our privilege. So for you, what do you want to do? Some of you right now may be in a place where you go, I get it. I need it. I'm in. This is God. This is God. It's a simple prayer. He did the sacrifice. He did the cross. He did the saving work. We accept and believe. And so if that's you right now, and you say, Chris, for the first time ever, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior, my Lord, and, and, and I will give my life to him. He can do whatever he wants with it. Can you just say this prayer right now? Just this prayer, just between you and God. Just say, God, thanks for letting me hear this today. You know I needed this. You know I've been living life my way. And it's not working. So I'm done with that. And today I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything I've done my way and not your way. For every wrong I've ever committed. I don't know how you do this. But thank you for taking all my punishment and wrong out on the cross. For allowing this Jesus to sacrifice himself for me. Today I accept that. I ask you to forgive me. And because he picked his life back up again, I ask that same spirit to come into my life today. Teach me how to follow you. Teach me how much you love me so I can learn to love you and I can learn to love myself. And then teach me how to love others. From this day on, I'm yours. I know if you said that, that's between you and that's to God, but man, our staff, this is what keeps us going. When we hear, man, there's another life change. If you can just text at the bottom of the screen right now that word to that number and let us know that you said that prayer, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna meet for the next couple of weeks as a staff and just pray for you by name because that's what we do every time we know someone has given their life to Christ. Father, for the rest of us, may you continue to open our eyes to the truth about who you are and who you claim to be. And may we realize, as hard as it is, as hard as it is in this day and age, if we're going to take your words, then God, we need to give this in love to the world around us so they know the truth. Can you teach us, God, how to follow you? And may you build in us a passion for the things you're passionate about. May you break us for the things that you are broken about. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. If you said that prayer with Chris and gave your life to Jesus or rededicated your life, we encourage you text the keyword Jesus to 841-921-0220. That's the keyword Jesus to 841-921-0220. We would love to be able to email you some resources to be able to help you in your journey of faith. Thanks for joining us and we look forward to having you back next week.